Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 22, Cannot Be Frustrated. So this week, we get into some significant mistakes that the Prophet Joseph made. And I can imagine that as this book, The Doctrine and Covenants, was being put together, I don't know, if it were me, I wouldn't be super stoked about a mistake this large being recorded for everyone to read. But we can learn so much from it. And it's actually quite a comforting chapter because we learn that we can make mistakes, even really big mistakes, and be forgiven. And not just forgiven, but still called to do the Lord's will after we're forgiven and after we've repented. So I want to start you out with some background. Um, Martin Harris was aware of the story of Joseph having gold plates And he knew who Joseph was because he had hired him before to work on his farm. And Lucy Smith invited Martin to come speak with her son. But when he stopped by, Joseph was out working, so he questioned Emma and other family that was there about the plates. And when Joseph came home, he and he heard from Joseph himself, he said, quote, if this is the devil's work, I will have nothing to do with it. But if if it was of the Lord, he wanted to help. So Joseph allowed him, I guess maybe he could feel his sincerity or maybe the spirit confirmed to him that it was okay. Um, Joseph allowed him to lift the lockbox that the plates were in so he could tell that there was something heavy in it. But he said, quote, you must not blame me for not taking your word. And I don't think any of us can blame Martin. I think Joseph himself actually said, if I had not seen it myself, I would not have believed me. So I don't think any of us can blame Martin for not initially just hopping on board. So Martin went home and he did the thing that you are supposed to do when you want to know if something is true. He went home and he asked God and he got a witness from the spirit that what Joseph said was true and that he needed to help. Soon after, Martin ran into Joseph in a store in town and Joseph had come into town to try and settle some of his debts. And Martin walked up to Joseph and publicly gave him $50 to help he and Emma be able to move to Harmony, Pennsylvania, so that Emma could be near her family to give birth. And Joseph also had, excuse me, Joseph also had hoped that he could get away from Palmyra, Palmyra because lots of people were trying to get the plates and to spy on him. And so he wasn't really getting a whole lot of time with the plates to try and figure out how he was supposed to translate them. And in addition, Martin asked everyone who was in the store to witness that he gave Joseph the $50 uncoerced. Joseph and Emma then went to Harmony with Martin's aid, his financial aid to get there. And it's really interesting to read how Joseph began to work with the Urim and Thummim. And it wasn't like magic where it just came easily. And I think I had never really even thought about this before. In my mind, it was just that he looked through them and it just was obvious and he was able to translate. But it sounds like, and maybe all of you already know this, it actually took some effort in learning how to use them. And the most important ingredient reminded me of how the Liahona worked. He needed to exercise faith and humility. And that's exactly how we learn about some other tools in the Book of Mormon, like the Liahona work through faith. Martin eventually showed up in Harmony, saying that he felt called of the Lord to go to New York and consult with some experts in the field of ancient languages. 
So he took some of the writings that Joseph wrote down, some of the characters, and I think he wrote down the translation too, um, or he did. He wrote down the translation too. And so Martin went to New York, and the first expert he went to confirmed that the translation confirmed that the translation was accurate and that it was of ancient origin. Although, interestingly, he didn't know this specific language, but he was familiar enough with this type of writing to get the idea. And this man wrote a certificate of authenticity. But as Martin was leaving, he asked him about how Joseph found the plates. And after hearing the miraculous way that they were received, he asked Martin to hand him the certificate back. And so Martin did. And the man ripped it up, saying that such things no longer happen and that he was being deceived. Martin then went to a second expert in New York who looked at the writings and said that they reminded him of Egyptian writings and were in the language of an extinct nation. So just kind of an interesting side note, but Martin came back with confirmation for himself, but not necessarily any physical proof, which in my mind, makes total sense. I don't think that we are were ever intended to have physical proof. And in fact, I guess I know that we weren't, at least at this point, up to this point, because we don't have any. We don't have any conclusive evidence. We have compelling evidence, but not conclusive evidence. And I think we were all meant to read the Book of Mormon and be here and learn to have faith on it and get a witness through the Spirit the way that we're supposed to. And that faith wasn't supposed to come through conclusive evidence. So Emma has been serving as Joseph's scribe for a, a little while. And it's interesting to hear some of the things that she said about the time period when she served as his scribe. I'm just going to read um, you this one paragraph from the Saints book. It says, Emma marveled that her husband's lack of knowledge in history and scripture did not hinder the translation. Joseph could hardly write a coherent letter, yet hour after hour she sat close beside him while he dictated the record without the aid of any book or manuscript. She knew only God could inspire him to translate as he did. She also tells about one time when he was writing, it describes a wall around Jerusalem, and he looked up kind of alarmed saying, is there a, was there once a wall around Jerusalem? And she confirmed as she remembered some descriptions from the Bible. And she, so, and, and he says, oh, I was afraid I had been deceived. And she marveled that he could have no knowledge of the wall that was around Jerusalem that she knew about, but he didn't. And that he, he could have such a lack of knowledge of history and it wouldn't hinder his translation in any way. She served for a while, but she was quite pregnant. And when Martin returned from putting some of his affairs in order in Palmyra, he began to be Joseph's scribe. Martin's wife, Lucy, had insisted on coming as she was quite suspicious of Joseph and unsupportive of the financial support that they were giving. And while she was there, she caused quite a bit of a problem. Um, and it sounds like she was kind of a funny lady. She was hard of hearing and... Um, if she couldn't hear what people were saying, she always thought that they were talking about her. Um, she was constantly questioning Joseph about showing the plates to her and searching the house. And Joseph had no choice but to hide the plates in the woods. And um, after a little while, eventually, Lucy moved out of the house and went to stay with a neighbor, all the while telling everyone that Joseph was out to get Martin's money. 
Eventually, after causing quite a bit of trouble, she went back to Palmyra. And Martin and Joseph were now free to translate and did so for a few months. And this is where the 116 pages that we don't have come from. The book of Lehi that we will eventually get to read. How cool will that be? To get a different point of view on that portion of the Book of Mormon, to hear from Lehi himself. And Martin, after they completed those 116 pages, he really wanted to take them back for Lucy to read so that she could be convinced and also be happy with what he had been doing. And Joseph really understandably wanted to let Martin do this because Martin had believed in him and had been his friend and had helped him so much. And I'm sure he trusted him. And so Joseph asked the Lord and he was told no. When Joseph told Martin what the Lord had said, he begged him to ask again. And again, Joseph was told no. And Martin pleaded again. He must have been under a huge amount of family pressure and social pressure and whatever else. And so he begged Joseph to ask again for the third time. And then the Lord said yes and let them do what they wanted to do. Martin promised to keep them safe. But as we know, on this journey back to Palmyra, or actually probably in Palmyra, they were lost. And there are conflicting accounts about exactly what happened. But most historians agree that Lucy Harris may have had a hand in giving them to two conspiring men. And what's interesting is, say they were given to people, where did they go? Like, I just, I just wonder what happened to them. What happened to them? Why have we never seen them again? And I'm sure that that has something to do with the fact that the Lord wouldn't have allowed that. So while Martin was gone with the pages, Emma had her baby and the baby was frail and died. And Emma also almost died herself. And Joseph spent a lot of time by her side and didn't want to leave her. But after a few weeks, Emma was so concerned about the pages that she asked Joseph to send for her mother to come stay with her so that Joseph could go to Palmyra and see Martin because they hadn't heard from him. And when he got to his family's house in Palmyra, they invited Martin to come over for breakfast. And I'm going to read to you the excerpt out of the Saints book, um, The Standard of Truth, and in the chapter called All is Lost, the experience that he had as Martin came to tell him what had happened. The sun was rising when he arrived at his parents' home in Manchester. The Smiths were, were preparing breakfast and sent Martin an invitation to join them. By eight o'clock, the meal was on the table, but Martin had not come. Joseph and the family started to grow une uneasy as they waited for him. Finally, after more than four hours, Martin appeared in the distance, walking slowly toward the house, his eyes fixed on the ground in front of him. At the gate, he paused, sat on the fence, and pulled his hat down over his eyes. He then came inside and sat down to eat in silence. The family watched as Martin picked up his utensils as if ready to eat, then dropped them. I have lost my soul, he cried, pressing his hands on his temples. I have lost my soul. Joseph jumped up. Martin. Have you lost that manuscript? Yes, Martin said. It's gone, and I know not where. Oh, my God, my God, Joseph groaned, clenching his fists. All is lost. He started pacing the floor. He did not know what to do. Go back, he ordered Martin. Search again. It is all in vain, Martin cried. I have looked every place in the house. I have ripped open beds and pillows, and I know it is not there. Must I return to my wife with such a tale? Joseph feared that the news would kill her. And how shall I appear before the Lord? 
His mother tried to comfort him. She said maybe the Lord would forgive him if he repented humbly. But Joseph was sobbing now, furious at himself for not obeying the Lord the first time. He could barely eat for the rest of the day. He stayed the night and left the next morning for Harmony. As Lucy watched him go, her heart was heavy. It seemed everything they had hoped for as a family, everything that had brought them joy over the last few years, had fled in a moment. What a moment that must have been. Can you imagine failing at this level? God, whom you had seen in person, gotten plates out of the ground from, sent angels to you, and you have just lost 106 pages of the translation. After tempting and asking God more than once, not taking no for an answer, The plates, the Urim and Thummim were, of course, taken from him by Moroni for a time, and he was told that they would be returned to him if he was sufficiently humble and repented. So this is where we get section three of the Doctrine and Covenants. Section three is what was written on the interpreters when Moroni gave them back to him. So let's talk about what we can learn from what was written on the interpreters. I mean, right out of the box. Verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read them to you. The works and the designs and the purposes of God cannot be frustrated, neither can they come to naught. For God doth not walk in crooked paths, neither doth he turn to the right hand nor to the left, neither doth he vary from that which which he hath said. Therefore his paths are straight, and his course is one eternal round. Remember, remember that it is not the work of God that is frustrated, but the work of men. Boom. The works and designs and the purposes of God cannot be frustrated, neither can they come to naught. So this is what I mean by comforting. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what choices other people are making, no matter what politicians are doing or what wars are going on, his works cannot be frustrated. And this can apply to so many things. Now, this made me first think of one thing that can be frustrated, like it says in verse 3, the work of men. The work of men can be frustrated. So my work on myself can be frustrated. Now, think about a time, or maybe it's now for you, that the sky was falling in your personal life. Maybe a child going astray, maybe divorce, maybe financial troubles, maybe friendship struggles, maybe health struggles, or a trying time with your testimony. It can be an infinite number of things. God has a work, design, and purpose for you individually. And no matter how bad things get, no matter what is happening in your life, no matter how bad they are, his purpose and plan for you cannot be frustrated It can't be frustrated by the agency of others, by an illness, by world conditions. But unless, unless what? Oh, yes. The wonderful yet kind of scary thing called agency, our own agency. God does not change his desires for you. He does not move away from his plan for your life. God does not alter his desires for your progression and your potential. And the only way that our progression and potential can get messed up is through our own agency. 
Think of it like it's described in that scripture. Think of the path God has planned for your life as a literal path. It is straight and narrow. It does not turn. You will become and do what he intends for you if you let him prevail. The only thing that can deter you from that path is yourself. And the cool thing is, is that we have been given so much instruction on how to stay on that path. And even though that path doesn't vary, we are also given so much hope and instruction on how to get back on that path if we wander off of it. It's not like if we vary from it a little bit, it's not ever available to us to get back on. It might slow us down a little bit. It might make things a little bit harder for us, but we can get back on. Boyd K. Packer said, the atonement leaves no tracks, no traces. What it fixes is fixed. It just heals and what is heals stayed healed. The atonement can reclaim each one of us, bears no scars. That means that no matter what we have done or where we have been or how something happened, if we truly repent, the Savior has promised that he would atone. And when he atoned, that settled that. The atonement can wash clean every stain, no matter how difficult or how long or how many times repeated. Now, we know that the beginning of section three is referring to the grand scheme of things. It's referring to the plan for the earth, for the church, for Israel. We are not powerful enough to derail those purposes. His plan will go on with or without us. We get to choose. And Isn't it amazing that we are in control of our own potential? He already knows what we can be. He already knows what kind of positive effect we can have. And he already knows how we can help with the plan. And we just have to choose to do it. Now, when I say the word just, that makes it seem like I'm saying it's easy. It's not. It's incredibly hard. Sometimes it's excruciatingly hard. We have trials that come up that feel completely out of our control. And we may even be dealing with the consequences of sin like addiction. Staying on the Lord's path involves a whole lot of us fighting against our natural man and learning to align our will with God's. One way I've had to try especially hard to stay on the path, my own personal progression, but also on the path that will allow me to aid in his grand purposes One way I've had to try especially hard lately is in dealing with people who don't agree with me. I think that we all feel like we're living in some sort of echo chamber. Everyone is yelling to hear their own voice and cementing their already held opinions and unwilling to even listen to other points of view, let alone consider it. I think it's infuriating for everyone, no matter what your position is on different topics. So lately, my most frequent prayer has been that I can view people with Christ-like love to realize that we all have very good reasons to believe what we believe and everyone is just doing their best. I pray to fight against my own bias and really listen when someone is saying something that I disagree with and not allow myself to stay in any kind of frame of mind that would be unloving toward them. Now, I certainly have not always succeeded. I've felt hurt and disrespected myself. And and while I think that my words stayed pretty civil, my heart and my head sometimes doesn't quite go along with that. 
But as I've experienced this, I have tried really hard to repeatedly repent when I find my mind in a place that I know that the Savior wouldn't approve of. And I've tried to give my unkind feelings away to Him and choose love over self-righteousness. My sweet friend and neighbor, Michelle, had a beautiful idea the other day. Our neighborhood has struggled a little bit in this political climate, and there are lots of varying political opinions going on and about COVID as well. So her idea was to get as many people as were willing together to take a picture together to signify that although we are divided in opinion, we are not divided in our love for each other. And as I say this, this doesn't mean that there haven't been tense moments, but I think that my wonderful neighbors, for the most part, we can all see beyond these tense moments and put loving our neighbors first. I think that we can all see that we are worthy, each one of us, of respect and love and friendship, and that none of us are stupid. We all have different reasons, legitimate reasons, for feeling the way that we do. And I think we all have the spirit with us. And that spirit reminds us that we are not exclusively right and that others are not exclusively wrong just because they disagree with us. So we got together and we took the picture. And I think it was healing for everyone to feel united with all of us, even though we disagree. And I think that that is what it is to let God prevail, to choose to get on board with his plan, to choose to love others enough to put our uncomfortable feelings aside and put his commandments first over our own opinions, over our own hurt feelings. Think what would happen if we didn't choose to do that, if we chose to just wallow in our hurt feelings and our anger and our frustration Would we still be on the train of the Lord's plan? Would we still be with him helping to build Zion and to gather Israel if we're so focused on that? No, we absolutely would not be. And the Lord's plan, if we choose to do that, it would go on just fine without us. We just have to put his will above our own. And his will is for us to love people and to treat them with respect to spend more time immersed in the gospel than consuming the news and people's social media feeds and talk shows or whatever other thing. Not saying that those things are bad, but he wants us to spend more time doing the things that are actively engaging in gathering Israel, in strengthening Zion and the mission that he has given us than dwelling on the state of the world to do exactly what we have been talking about doing this last week. If my heart, mind, and actions are not helping to build and strengthen Zion, what am I even doing? Because Zion, it will get built and strengthened with or without you. Elder Uchtdorf said, Our best days are ahead of us, not behind us. This is why God gives us modern revelation. Without it, life might feel like flying in a holding pattern waiting for the fog to lift so we can safely land. The Lord's purposes for each of us are much higher than that. Because this is the church of the living Christ and because he directs his prophets, we are moving forward and upward to places we've never been to, to heights we can hardly imagine. 
Now, this does not mean that we won't experience turbulence in our flight through mortality. It doesn't mean there won't be unexpected instrument failures, mechanical malfunctions, or serious weather challenges. In fact, these things might get worse before they get better. As a fighter pilot and, and an airline captain, I learned that while I could not choose the adversity I would encounter during a flight, I could choose how I prepared and how I reacted. What is need, needed during times of crisis is calm and clear-headed trust. How do we do this? We face the facts and return to the fundamentals, to the basic principles of the gospel, to do what matters most. You strengthen your private religious behavior like prayer and scripture study and keeping God's commandments. You make the decisions based on best proven practices. Focus on the things that you can do and not on the things that you cannot do. You muster your faith and you listen for the guiding word of the Lord and his prophet to lead you to safety. Remember, this is the church of Jesus Christ. He is at the helm. Now, Elder Uchtdorf just gave us so much inspiration on how to make sure that we stay on the Lord's side and stay with his plans and his purposes that cannot be frustrated, ready to be an instrument. So in verse 5 in the Doctrine and Covenants, it says, Behold, you have been entrusted with these things, but how strict were your commandments? And remember also the promises which were made unto you if you did not transgress them. We have been entrusted with so much. We have been given so much instruction and we've been promised so much if we do what we've been asked to do. So think about how that verse can apply to you. What have you been entrusted with? For me, I thought of a few things. I thought of my children, my ministering sisters, my primary class, this podcast, and Finally, I thought about my own soul. Think about all of those things. What are every single one of those things ultimately about? They are about God's work and glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, which is what the gathering of Israel is. Each of those things are about the salvation of people, including the work of gathering my own soul to him. It says in verse 10, But remember, God is merciful. Therefore, repent of that which thou hast done, which is contrary to the commandment which I gave you, and thou art still chosen and are again called to this work. We are going to mess up. We know that. He knows that. In fact, us messing up is actually part of the plan. Us messing up helps us grow as long as we let it. So we can mess up and still be called to the work. This week, I felt like I was messing up. It has taken me way too long to prepare this much of the podcast. And honestly, I know that this is plenty long technically, but I didn't get very far at all in my preparation. And I don't feel like I covered everything I could have um, and still taken, you know, about a normal podcast length. And it's all because I kept getting distracted by other things that I wanted to read um, that didn't have anything to do with this week. And I kept doing things that felt more relaxing at the time. And I even spent some of my time that I was supposed to be prepping when I had my door closed and my kids out there and I was supposed to be prepping. I spent that time watching part of The Sound of Music and eating a chocolate dome from Neaters. <laughs> 
Now, I am not the Prophet Joseph, obviously, and this podcast does, doesn't even compare even the tiniest bit to his task. But regardless of that, I am called to do it. I can feel the spirit in it. I can feel the blessings coming from it. And the pressure that I'm feeling to get an episode out each week, it isn't really because I know that some people are expecting it, but it's really more that I know that the Lord expects me to do it. And he expects me to do it in a more organized way than I'm currently doing it. And I certainly did not do it perfectly this week. But I decided to stop preparing because in order for me to have adequate time to prepare well for the next week, I need to stop preparing for this week's. And that was an important lesson for me that I just I just needed to stop trying to prepare and stop trying to tweak it because now it was messing up my next week. And so sometimes we just need to know when to stop and repent and reset. And so that's what I did. And I still think this week turned out great. I was really happy with the things that I learned this week. But I know that I didn't do my best this week. And I know that the Lord also knows that I didn't do my best this week. So for you, do your calling, whatever you feel like that is, and mess up. And then don't let that be a stumbling block, keeping you from reaching your potential in that calling in the future. Mess up, repent, and move on. Don't let a vision of perfection hold you back. Because who are you holding back? Yourself, not God. If I stop doing this podcast, would that keep the Lord from accomplishing his purposes? Nope. But it would hold me back. And anyone else that would have benefited from listening, God would have another way for them to get what they need. The only thing it would do would be to keep me from being an instrument in the Lord's hand. And that would be unfortunate. So think about what you feel called to do and do it. I'm sure that you, just like I do, want to be an instrument he uses to accomplish his purposes. I'll end with Elder Uchtdorf again. He says, As an apostle of the Lord, I invite you and bless you to cheerfully do all things that lie in your power. And then may you stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. And I promise that the Lord will cause unimaginable things to come from your righteous labors. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.